Well, I want to welcome you again to Emmanuel. Hey, if you are a first-time guest with us here today, uh, we are currently in a series called Soul Keeping. And uh, just to give you a quick sum up of where we've been and what we've talked about, this series is based on a book that I read last year called Soul Keeping. Uh, we got real creative with the title of our series. <laughs> we just stole it from the book. Um, I bet, and what we, what we said was, man, what if we could share some of the highlights or the big ideas from this book, because it's really impacted me, and I, I just got excited about that, and that's really where this series came from. The idea behind the series is that you are a soul, and you are the keeper of your soul. You are responsible for the condition of your soul. And, and with the, where this idea comes from is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, which says this, above all else, or first things first, guard or keep or watch over your heart, which is a, can be used as a synonym, this word, uh, for the soul. Why? Why should I watch over? Why should I keep my heart? Because everything I do flows from it. How I treat my spouse, how I interact with my children, how I handle money or how I spend money or purchase money, how I, what I do with my free time, how, I, how I, my performance on the job, whatever it is, all of that stuff comes from within. In other words, we live from the inside out. So if I take care of my insides, then my outsides are going to go well. Do you agree with this? Right? And so what we've been saying in this series is that the condition of my soul determines the quality of my life. It's the same idea, just, just worded differently. And so as you take care of your souls, you keep your souls, you reorder your soul, as you help work with God to restore your soul, your life is going to go well. The quality of your life is going to increase. And what we said in this series is that a healthy soul is a soul that's able to respond like Jesus would to all the situations of your life. Can you imagine if, if you were able to do that? That your soul was in such good condition that whatever, whatever came your way, pressure, difficulty, temptation, you were able to do what Jesus would do? Would your life go better? Anybody? If you were able to respond and act like Jesus in each of the situations of your life with wisdom, with courage, with hope, with purity, with strength, right? That is a healthy soul. And so that's kind of what we were shooting for here. And I know that's, that, that might seem out of reach for some of you, but it's not. It's not. Because the goal of the Christian walk and the faith of, is to become like Christ from the inside out. To be able to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit as you walk through your days, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and courage and purity and things of this nature. Right? That's the goal of the, of, of the Christian life. So in week one, if you, if you weren't here, just real quick, what we said was if the beginning of caring for our soul means that we have to understand it. And we talked about the different parts of the soul, the will. We talked, that's at the core. We're going to talk about that today a little bit more. The mind and the feelings and the emotions, and then also our body is all, all intertwined in that. And so I, in week one, your homework was to pay attention to your choices and pay attention to your feelings and pay attention to your thoughts because that's a reflection of where your soul is at. And then last week, we talked about the unlimited desires of the soul. It's a thirsty place, and it, it can only be satisfied by the unlimited resources of God. And if you try to satisfy your soul with anything else other than God, that's idolatry, and idolatry will, will ruin your soul. And so my challenge, I challenged you to drink in Christ, to drink in His Spirit, to satisfy your soul on His. And so I hope that you, put, you tried to do that last week, and, and, and you tried to satisfy your soul with the living water. I can only challenge you to do it, but I can't do it for you. I can, only, I can only be the keeper of my soul. You see how that works? 
And so today what we want to do is continue to talk a little bit about the soul. I'm going to give you some more homework today. Everybody excited about the homework that I give you? Hope you I hope you are. Homework didn't end in college. It didn't end with high school, right? Life goes on. We have to continue to do some homework if we want to get better in the key areas of our life, especially in our relationship with God and the development of our soul. And so today what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about the core of the soul, which is the will, the will. See, I believe if you're taking notes today that the primary source of human problems, the primary source of the problems in my life and your life, they stem from or they come from our will. Our will. Our will, if you remember in week one, I showed you a graphic. I'll, I'll show you this graphic again. The will is at the core of the soul. The will is the place where we make our choices. We say yes or we say no. It's the place where we create. It's the place where we take, where actions come from the will right here. And then there's also the mind and the feelings which, in, which influence the will. And then there's also the body, and that influences the will as well because the body can develop appetites and say, feed me now, right? <laughs> and so a lot of times the will is at the mercy of the body, especially when there's chocolate cake on the table. You with me? Pop-tarts get me all the time. Something about pop-tarts. My body kicks in the gear, and my will says, eat, and I just, I am helpless, Right? And so it's all kind of wrapped together. But I want to talk to you today about, about the will and the problems that, uh, that are at the will. See, the, the primary source, like I said, the primary source of the difficulties and problems in our life are at the, at the core of who we are. Something has gone wrong at the core of who I am and the core of who you are at the, at the, at the level of the will or the heart. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart, another synonym for the will, what is it? It's deceitful. Say it a little bit louder. It's what? It's liars. It's a liar. So you come to church, you get told you're a liar. But it's true, isn't it? Are you a liar? Have you ever told a lie? Uh-oh. Yeah. We all have, right? Even little white lies. We've told lies. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Have you ever done something where you thought to yourself, why did I do that? I mean, you just, you know it was wrong, you did it anyway, and you sit back and you reflect and you go, why did I do that? I don't even understand why I do what I do sometimes. That's the heart, that's the soul. Something has gone wrong at the level of the will, at the core of who we are. See, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose to sin. They chose to disobey God. God gave them an option, and they chose to go with what Satan presented before them. They chose to believe that God was holding out on them, and they sinned. And their will, theologians call it the fall, the will became corrupt. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He gives us a, a grim description of the, of the human soul. He says, none of us are righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. That's the condition of my soul. That's the condition of my will, and that's the condition of your will. We come into this world with a broken will. Does that make sense? A lot of us uh, are still kind of reeling from what happened in the last couple of days where a young man walks into a church and shoots nine people. Just shoots him dead in cold-blooded murder. And now we're trying to understand what's going on. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, who can understand it? Who can understand why a person does what he does and makes these choices? It's actually not that complicated. The, the, the man made a choice to murder. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? Where'd that choice come from? His will came from his will. He made a choice, a strategic choice that he was going to kill that day. Well, 
What influences the will? Let's go back to the graphic really quick. What influences the will? Two things. The mind and the feelings. So now the media and, and you and I, we're trying to figure out, what was this guy thinking? What was he feeling? And now we know based on conversations and things that he said and things that he's left behind that he, what he was thinking was that African-American people shouldn't be this and they're not as good or whatever, right? And he was racist and, and his thoughts about them, now, now all of his thoughts are coming out and all of his feelings about African-American people are coming out, the hatred that, that he had been spewing, we're learning about these things. And now we begin to understand, well, well now I know why he walked into that church and shot those people. Because we get what he was thinking and we get what he was feeling. And he brought his body into that church and he made a decision. This is how it works. Now, you may never walk into a church and shoot nine people. Hopefully, you don't. But you're going to do things. I'm going to do things. And, and, and the explanation behind why I did X, Y, or you did A or B, whatever, is right here. I made a choice because I had some specific thoughts and I had some specific feelings that influenced my will. That can work for the positive or that can work for the negative. Today I want to talk to you about how to restore the soul using, using the soul, using the mind, and using the will. Let me, let me get into a little bit of what happens when the, when the will gets off and makes decisions that are against God's revealed law. See, what, what literally happens inside of you and me is this, the soul is split. When we choose to sin, when we choose to disobey God, sin splits the soul. It splits us right down the middle. This is why we try to reconcile things. We, 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 we feel guilty. We, we get this guilty conscience. The, the, James, in, in chapter 1 of, of the book of James, James talks about a, a man who is praying. He's asking God for something, but then he's also doubting. And, and James uses this word. Uh, he, said, he calls this person double-minded. Listen, listen to this. This person is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This word right here is the Greek word that means soul, double-souled. If we, we could translate this verse, he's a double-souled person. Chapter 4, verse 8, he uses the word again. Listen to this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-souled person. You split-souled person. See, what happens to the, when, when we sin, when we come into this world, our, our soul is split by sin. We are double-souled. Let me give you an example that I think you'll, you'll remember for some time. See, what ends up happening in my life and in your life, let's, let's just pick, take this one right here. See that? This will represent our soul. This is a relevant illustration because, uh, because you're, you're, some of you are eating watermelon these days because <laughs> it's warm out. This is our soul. What happens when we, when we sin, I, this is sharp, but I'm going to be careful, I promise. What happens when we sin is that we split the soul right down the middle. Well, not quite right down the middle, but. And this is what we end up with right here. This is what happens to our soul when we split it. And what we end up feeling, uh, some, we, we, we feel guilty, we, we know we did something wrong, we, we know we, we stepped over the line, and, and there's a problem. Have you felt this way when you've sinned? Yeah, we all have, right? And so what's interesting about the soul is that the way it's built, it's God built it like the body. In a, in a, it, the body tries to heal itself. You've all cut your leg or skinned your knee or done something to yourself, and over time, the body heals itself. It's, it's an incredible thing. God built the soul the same way. 
But when we try to put the, put the soul back together without God's help, here's what Dallas Willard said. He said, apart from God, the soul tends to drift into duplicity and lies. When we try to put this all back together when without God's help. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like several things. It looks like comparisons. Like when, when people sin, they, they compare themselves to other people. And they say things like, well, I'm not as bad as him and I'm not as bad as her. And why do we do that? Why do we compare ourselves? Here's what we're trying to do right here. We're trying to put ourselves back together. We can feel a little bit better because we're not quite as bad as them or the neighbors, right? Sometimes people will come to me and say, men in particular, and they say, hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. And the reason they even started the conversation was to do this. They know that the Bible says that sex is for marriage, and they feel, they feel guilty. So, hey, Pastor Danny, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. What do you think? And what I tell them is very simple. Well, you know, the scriptures teach that sex is for marriage and all this stuff. And, and, and then very often the next statement that is made is, how many people at your church actually obey that rule? <laughs> which always tickles me because how did the conversation go to everybody else who attends the church? I thought this was about you and your, your girlfriend. Now, why, why, why does the conversation go to all of you and your sexuality? Why does it go there? Because if I can compare myself to everybody else, I don't feel that bad. And I can sleep at night after I sin. After I deliberately disobey God's rules, if I can compare myself to everybody else in the world, I'm not that bad, then I can get some type of pseudo-wholeness. It's not real wholeness, but it's just, it's just this fake, my conscience is a little bit eased, and I can kind of move on. We, we do this. Without God, the soul drifts into duplicity and lies. And so what we'll do is we'll use comparisons, then we'll use excuses. Like if we do something wrong, we'll, we'll say, well, the reason that it's okay it's not that bad, is because she, she made me do it. My kids do this all the time. If you're raising kids, multiple kids, you see this every day. It's like, why did you take that? He took mine first. You know, it's, it's just excuse after excuse after excuse. What's going on? There's, there's this, I got to put things back together. I've been split. I feel bad. I did something wrong. Let me try to fix this. My, the funniest one, which is, it's not funny. It's actually sad. Is, is denial. Some of you know people like this. They, they have split their soul. They've done something wrong. They've cheated or lied or they've, they've physically abused or sexually abused or mentally abused somebody. You, maybe it's you and, and, and they need to move on with their life. They're, they're feeling guilty. So what they just pretend like it never happened. It's this amazing ability for a human being to, take, to put it out of their mind like they never did it. And you're sitting there, the victim, and you're, or you know the victim, and you're waiting for them to circle back and apologize and make it right, and it never happens. Want to know why it never happens? Because they have had to somehow put things back together, and the way that they put it back together is by pretending it never happened. It's fascinating. The soul is tricky. It's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. And it'll, it'll resort to denial if it has to in order to feel something like wholeness. But it's not wholeness. It's pseudo. It's fake. And so what we keep doing over and over and over because we don't have God as the focus of our life is we keep sinning. We keep splitting. We keep going. And the lies pile up. And we steal, and we hurt, 
and we verbally abuse people, and then we justify it, and we make excuses, and we compare, and we say, at least it's not as bad as this or as that, and this is what our soul ends up looking like over the years. Split soul, double souled, fractured soul. That's what sin does to us. And the soul gets lost. That's what happens. This is a lost soul. I, I want you to get this visual picture in your mind. This is what a, a lost soul looks like. It has been split and so many different parts. It's so disconnected. It's so disoriented. It's so confused. It doesn't know which way is up, which way is down. It doesn't know what's right, what's wrong. It doesn't know if it's who it is or what reality is anymore. This is a lost soul. And so around the age of 42, 43, 45, this person right here has to go sit in some person's office with letters before their name, PhD, so-and-so, and pay a lot of money to try to have them put it all back together because they have no idea who they are or what's going on or how their family fell apart or how they got to where they are. Do you know anybody like this? Split soul, double souled. Jesus said this, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and have all the money and all the houses and all the fame if, if you've lost your soul? The beautiful thing about this situation is that God can take all of this stuff. He, he can literally take all of these pieces and, and, and he can take them off. And this is literally what he wants to do. By the way, if you want some watermelon after the service, just, just come on up. There's plenty here. What he wants to do is put it back together. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make me whole. He wants to take all of the pieces and all the splitting and all the duplicity and all the lies and all the secret, secret compartments that you have that you're not showing people. And he wants to take it out and put it all back together and restore your soul. And that's really what this series is all about, putting the pieces back together. Now, how does that work? Well, I wish that I could say a prayer for you, I really do, and be done with it. I wish right now my prayers were so powerful that I could just be like Jesus in the name of Jesus, make everybody whole right here, and, and you'd all be like, put back together. Wouldn't that be sweet? Unfortunately, that's, that's not going to happen. In fact, when that does happen, I've seen it a couple of times, and it's not a whole put back together, but I've seen like a person in this church come forward and, and have a meth addiction just totally wiped out like over a prayer. I've seen it. Or, or some other type of addiction, just in a moment, just God, just God, boom, and, they know, and all their cravings are gone. I've seen it. That, my friends, is an exception. That is not how it normally works. Normally, in order for a soul to be put back together and, and all the pieces to come and, and, and healing to take place, it's, it's a, like a marathon. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of homework, which is why I give you homework every single week. See, you have to be doing things Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You cannot be put back together through sermons. I wish it were true. I wish I could preach a sermon and it would put you all back together and your soul would be restored. It happens every single day between you and God, this, this putting back together, this restoration. Let me give you three ideas here that you've that you're, you got to take with you and you've got to go home and do these things. Number one, you want to restore your soul? Number one, you've got to confess your sin. 
You've got to confess your sin. To God, obviously, but also to somebody else. Andy Stanley said it this way. He said, you, you, we tend to repeat the sins we only confess to God. Why is that true? Why is that true? We tend to repeat the sins we only confess to God. You want to know why that's true? Because God, we know, is going to forgive us. His grace is deeper than the deepest ocean, is it not? We know he's going to forgive us if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? But if we confess it to somebody else, oh boy. Now we're kind of put out there, right? Now the truth is on the table. Like, this is who I am and this is what I did. And now, wow, you see it? See, here, here, here's what James said. Watch this. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be what? Healed. How does confession of sin to somebody else heal me? Here's how. When I, when I tell somebody what I did, when I confess my sins to somebody, I am, I am putting myself out there and all the duplicity comes to an end. The circus act stops. See? The manipulation goes away. I, it is what it is. I did it. You see that? Like, like it, puts, it stops the splitting and the deceit and the lies and the pretending, which is why oftentimes I'll tell you my sin right from this platform, because <laughs> it's healing for my soul. See, if I tell you what I'm really like, then there's no room for me to hide. I've got nowhere to go. You know what I'm really like. See that? Confession of sin puts the soul back together because it eliminates the duplicity and the lies going on. And the, the soul, apart from God, it tries to put itself back together through deceit and through manipulation and through comparison and through excuse-making and through lies. So we got to confess our sins to each other. And that puts us out there and it brings wholeness back. Sometimes I'll confess my sin. I did it the other day on Twitter, <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter. I had an interaction with my wife early one morning last week, um, and I did not respond like Jesus would have to her. <laughs> I won't tell you exactly what I said, but uh, it wasn't Christ-like, and I knew it, and so here, I, we, here we are in this bothersome series, right? Is, is it bothering anybody else? It's bothering me. And so now I'm like, oh, man, now I got to, so I circle back with her after lunch that day, and I go back, and I apologize to her, hey, I said that, it wasn't Christ-like, and so I just went right out on Twitter and said, hey, uh, didn't respond like Jesus today, this morning to my wife, had to circle back and ask her to forgive me, and I hit send, you know, and somebody else uh, tweeted me back and said, I wish I could uh, be as honest about my sins to the public as you can, and, and I just, I thought it was funny, because why, why do I do that? Why do I do that? Here, here, I'm telling you, here's the reason. Of course, because I'm, I'm secure in the fact that Christ forgives me, so I've, I've got no, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm, bro I'm broken on the inside. I mess up. I sin. But I also do it because it puts me back together. It is what it is. I am who I am. I'm a work in progress. But there's no pretending or pretense to say, hi, I'm a pastor. I don't mess up. That's ridiculous. And pastors who say that, <laughs> they're They're lying. They're just lying. I'll just tell on them, okay? <laughs> They're just not telling the truth. They screw up with their wives and their kids, and they mess up, and they just do, because I'm one of them, right? So confession, confession of sin. But we can't stop there. That's just getting the ball started towards wholeness. How, what else do we need to do? we got to surrender our will to God's will. 
we got to surrender our will to God's will. What does a surrendered will look like? Here's what Dallas Willard said. I love it. A surrendered will is a single-minded focus upon doing the will of God in everything. Whoa. It sounds like hyper-spirituality. It sounds like Christianity 401. It is. It is. This, is. this is tough stuff. This is hard. This is not for the lighthearted. What I'm talking about is every morning waking up, getting on your knees, saying, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done today in my life. I'm not in charge. You're in charge. I'm going to do your will today. I'm going to be focused on doing the things you want done in this world, not the things that I want done. That is tough stuff. That's about surrender right there. Jesus lived this way in John chapter 4 when he stayed behind to talk to a woman at the well. His disciples went into town to get some food because they were hungry. When they came back, they saw him talking to this woman. They're like, hey, what's up? Did you get any food? How did you eat? Right? Listen to what he says in verse 34. My food, my nourishment comes from doing what? The will of God, the will of him who sent me and from finishing his work. He lived this way. His whole life revolved around doing what the father wanted. He would walk through his day and say, Father, what do you want done here in this situation? And then he would do it. He did not do what he wanted to do. And isn't that our problem? If you're raising children, you know they come out of the womb like this. They do. Broken, busted, ugly. They get cuter, thank, thank heavens, right? But they come out looking real, like an alien a little bit. <laughs> and then they are just so rebellious. The other day, my wife was trying to get my daughter to do something, and of course she wouldn't. I love my daughter. She's wonderful. She's precious. Took her to Ruby Tuesdays the other day on Tuesday for her birthday. That was a lot of fun. Some of you will catch that in a second. Her name's Ruby. Anyway, uh, Love her, great relationship, she just turned 10. But my wife, and she's got so much patience, she's, she's, got, ga- she's got gallons more patience than I do. Oh my goodness. And I, so when, when she's trying to get my daughter to do something, like get ready to go somewhere, <laughs> that's fun. I could only, have, God knew I could only handle one daughter. Just one, just one. He was very gracious to, to, to me, giving me two boys and a girl. Anyway, um, I do a lot of observing. I, 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 I watch these things. They're fascinating to me, right? Because she handles it differently than I would. And so there's this, there's this, hey, would you get ready? And there's this tug of war of wills, right? And then finally, when my wife's patience, when she loses her patience, she doesn't do it like I do. She's just, she stays calm. It's amazing. I don't know how she does it. She stays calm, and she just says, in the room, bedroom. And, and then one of the, the kids have to go in the bedroom, and then they get a, they get a knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball talk, which they hate. They hate I watched it. It's so fascinating. And so, so sure enough, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And, and, and sure enough, Ruby got the march into the bedroom with the knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. You need to surrender to me, right? So then the conversation was over. The door opened, and Ruby walked out. <laughs> Little rebel that she is. It is not a Ruby problem. It is a human problem. We all come out of the womb this way, not wanting to do what mom said, not wanting to do what God said. This is the problem of the will. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Fallen man isn't simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a what? A rebel who must lay down his arms. Listen, every day in our household, in some way, shape, or form, we are calling on the children to put their guns down (laughs) because they are not taking over. They are not in charge. 
We are. Some of you moms and dads, you've lost that battle, right? I don't know how you handle it, but, but we are still in charge of our home calling the shots, and they need to surrender their will. And this is the problem with us and God. I don't want to do what God says to do. It's my, the problem is in my will. See, when I have someone in my office and we're talking about somehow their soul has fallen apart and they're, and they're fractured, and it always comes down to this reality. What do you want to do? Do you want to do what God wants you to do or do you want to do what you want to do? Because if you continue to do what you want to do, you will make no progress in restoring your soul. You must get to the point, I must get to the point where we are surrendering what we want to do to what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives, which happens to be what's best for us. Do you agree with this? We have to trust that what he wants to do is best for us. And when I surrender and when you surrender our wanter, our wants, we will begin to see our soul restored and put back together. I've got to confess my sin. I've got to surrender my will. I also have to do this third thing turn my mind over to God, and so do you. We've got to turn our minds over to God. The power of our minds, wow. I cannot underestimate this point. This is perhaps the most powerful spiritual truth that has helped me in my life and many, many others. Turning the mind over to God. You see, in your notes there, what I wrote was that the will cannot be exercised without a thought being held before it. In other words, you cannot choose or make a choice, any choice in your life, without options. And the mind is the mechanism that puts the options before the will. Let me say that again. The mind, the thoughts, the perceptions, the ideas are what put the options before the will, and the will makes a choice between A or B or C. If we go back to our graphic a few moments ago, we can see the will in the center and the mind and the emotions here, right? So if I want to make good decisions at the core of my will, I have to have the proper thoughts accompanied by the proper emotions in order for me to make the right choices. This is how the soul functions. We have to bring the proper thoughts into our mind if we want to make the proper choices that honor God. So when someone's trying to change a behavior or actions in their life, I don't focus on the action. I don't help them focus on the action. Where do I focus as a counselor, as a coach, as a spiritual mentor? Where do I focus? On the what? The mind. When people do things in this life that are strange or abnormal, that are wrong or sinful or wicked, we often say what? What were they? We know that there was a thought pattern that preceded those actions that led to those actions, right? We know when this, when this 21-year-old kid walked into that church, we know that there was a thought pattern, and we've discovered that over the last couple of days, as I've already mentioned, that this hatred and this racism towards African-American people and the accompanying hatred that went along with those thoughts that explained those actions. It happens the same way in my life, and it happens the same way in your life. So, the, so no wonder the scriptures talk about the mind all over the place. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your what? Your thoughts, your mindset. Fix your mind on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Watch this. He says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. How would your life be different if all you did was think about those things in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? 
true and right, noble and pure and lovely and excellent, worthy of praise, if you bombarded your mind with positive thoughts, what kind of options would your will have? Talk to me. Good ones or bad ones? Excellent ones. God-honoring options to love your neighbor as yourself and to, to forgive those who wound you. And you, 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 you take the teachings of Christ and you fill your mind with these things, right? And then your will has great options to choose from. The problem is, is that we, we just let our thoughts go wherever they want to go. Beware where your thoughts go. Because your thoughts are taking options before your will. Options before your will. You say, oh, I would never do that. Well, are you thinking about it? Because if you're thinking about it, there's a possibility that you'll do it. Because you're putting options before your will. Well, I would never actually do it. I just like to look. I just like to think. Okay, be careful. Be careful. Because the soul is organized in such a way to take the options that are put before, before it by the mind. Which is why I'm always trying to protect what my kids see and what my children hear. And it blows my mind that most parents today, they are so haphazard with what their kids see and hear. I don't understand what they're thinking. What your children are taking into their mind is putting options before their will. Listen, there are things that you will never do because you have never thought about doing them. Am I right? Talk to me. It's okay to talk to me. Am I right? There, let me say it again. There, some of you didn't catch it. There are things that you will never do because you've never thought about doing them. Am I right? See how that works? Some of you say, I would never think of going into a church and shooting somebody. Of course you would never do that. You've never thought about doing it. But what about the person who's thought about it? What about the person who has hatred in their heart? What about the person who has racism in their heart, right? Well, then that's a viable option for that person. Why? They've been meditating on it, right? You want to know why you do what you do? It's because you've been thinking about doing what you're doing. And the feelings have come along with it. Now, you ought to be able to take everything I just said and, and, and go somewhere and, and put your soul back together. You, you ought to be able to. It's hard, it's difficult, and it's like a marathon, and it's going to take some work, but you just got the tools. Confession of sin, surrendering the will, and turning the mind over to God. The Apostle Paul said it this way, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That's powerful stuff. I'm not, this, see, this is not a talk. This is a talk, but it's not a talk. You know what this is? This is, this is me thinking about how I became or am becoming the man that I am today. And I still got a long way to go. <laughs> you can talk to my wife about that. But what I've shared with you today in confession of sin and surrendering the will and turning the mind over to God is my way of becoming the man that God has created me to be. And I'm just sharing it with you. And so that's your homework. Your homework this week is to confess your sin to someone other than God, to surrender your will, and to turn your mind over to God and think about what is true and holy and right and pure and lovely and excellent. And then you watch and see over time what happens. Your soul is going to begin to be restored. And you're going to become the type of person who is able to respond and act like Jesus to the situations of your life. And isn't, wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, really quick as we close out, please don't get up right now. This moment is a holy moment. There's some of you here today that God has ordained this moment right now for you. And you need to hear these very special words. The soul is eternal. The soul will live forever. 
There's some people that teach the idea that once you die, it's over. There's nothing in the, there's no afterlife. Well, the scriptures teach otherwise. They teach that the soul will live on forever, either with God or without God. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that you get to choose. Do you want to spend eternity with God or do you want to spend eternity without God? That option is, is you, you can take that. You can make that choice. See, what, what God did in order for your soul to spend eternity with him is he sent his son to this earth to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin, to cover your sin, to wash away your sin. And so that's why he died on the cross. If you've ever wondered, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why is that so gruesome? It's so bloody. And his nails and his hands and his feet. And he was, he, was, he was whipped and they put a crown of thorns on his head. Like, what's that all about? Here's, here's what he did. He paid the penalty for sin. His death was the sacrifice for your sin so that you would not have to pay. That's the whole, that's the game. That's, that's the whole picture right there. Why did he do that? So that your soul could be saved and spend eternity with God. But you, just to, you don't get it for being born in, into a Christian family. You don't get it by being baptized. or you don't, you don't receive the forgiveness of sins by being a good person or attending church or having your good deeds outweigh your bad. That's not how you receive the gift. The gift comes by faith. You put your faith in Christ. You ask him to forgive your sins and be your savior. And if you haven't done that yet, I'm going to invite you to do it right now. And I'm not. God is. Through my, through my voice. He's saying to you, come. Come and put your faith in my son. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. In this very special holy moment between you and God, would you reach out to him in faith and ask him to save you, to save your soul? Say these words. Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you paid the penalty for my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. With your strength, help me to live the rest of my life in a way that honors you. Restore my soul. Put me back together. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just put your faith in Christ, our church wants to give you a gift. It's a, it's a one-year Bible, one-year New Testament. I read these passages every day, and the reason I do, I've read them over and over and over. They never get old. The reason I do, part of the reason I do is because I'm placing good thoughts, true thoughts, before my will. They come in through my mind. They go into my will. And now my will has holy, awesome, wonderful options to pick from because I put them there by means of my mind. And that's why we, we emphasize reading the scriptures, not just coming to church, not just listening to sermons. I do that. I listen to sermons all the time. 
But nothing replaces my personal time in the word, hearing from God, having him transform my life, my soul, by renewing my mind. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, we want to put, you, put one of these in your hands for free. If you're in the balcony, there's tables down here to my left and to my right. Down on the main floor, you can just go back there right now and say, hey, I put my faith in Christ. Can I have one of those Bibles? If you prayed in the last couple of weeks, but you didn't go back and get one, you can go back and get one today. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, these aren't for you, <laughs> okay? You can actually go buy one from the bookstore. And uh, these are only free for those who put their faith in Christ recently. So let's give God glory today for what he's done. Hey, 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 as we leave here, the best gift I can give my wife and my children on Father's Day today is a restored soul. Is my soul completely restored? No, I still play games. I still manipulate sometimes. I still hide. I do. My soul's not completely restored. But the best gift I can give them, the best work I can do for them and for you as your pastor is working on this right here. Putting the pieces back together. Being honest about my sin. It is what it is. Taking my will and surrendering that will to God every day and saying, God, I'm turning this mind over to you. Help me to only think thoughts that would honor Christ, that would, that, that would put great options before my will. That's the, best, that's the best gift I can give you. I hope, I hope you understand that's the best gift you can give to this church. That's the best gift you can give to your spouse. That's the best gift you can give to your children because you will become the type of person who responds and acts like Christ in all the situations of your life. That will transform a community, friends. Do you agree with this? One by one by one, that will transform a community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we surrender to you today. We start the process now. We turn our minds over to you. We, we turn our, our will over to you, God. We're, we're going to get honest about our sin because we want you to restore our soul. We don't want to have lost souls. We don't want to be split a thousand times and living, lie, living a lie and, and manipulating people and living in denial. We desire truth, God. I know you desire truth in the inward parts in our soul. Help us to take action this week. We love you. As we do, give us grace to restore our souls. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week is week number four of this series. We're going to wrap this thing up. I would love to see, hey, here's the deal. I'm convinced that everyone in our community needs to hear this stuff. And there's empty seats here right now. So let's work on that. Let's get everyone here so that we can really start a revolution. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.